This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Well, my name is Scott Lewis from Voice of San Diego. And I'm Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance. Hi, Laura. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm doing pretty darn well. Just celebrated my parents' 50th anniversary over the weekend. Interesting. They made it. 50th. 50th. Wow. Yeah. Uh, That's impressive. I, um, you know, that voice at the end of our intro is that of Assemblywoman Shirley Weber. It makes me smile every time. She has uh, a bill at the state legislature that's going forward on sort of a comprehensive evaluation of schools that actually does have some chance this year. You know, it would be teacher evaluation, but but much more, which includes um, some of the best stuff about evaluating schools. So we'll see how that goes. That evaluating be teachers yeah. and schools, actually. She has two bills, and yeah. they've both passed out of the assembly, which is not a certain thing. Last year, they didn't make it out. And uh, that bills do a good job of including multiple measures of um, teacher um, effectiveness and of school effectiveness. So yeah, pay attention to that. That's going to be a really interesting discussion. Uh, Shirley, we did an actual podcast with her. I say that because in the next two weeks, uh, we're going to have a big discussion about teacher and school evaluations uh, with uh, the leader of the Poway Unified School District's main teachers union, right? What's yes. her name? Uh, Candy Smiley. Yes. Yeah, so she's coming in and we're going to have a big discussion. Uh, uh, Poway is well known for its its collaboration between teachers and the administration on that sort of thing. And so that should be fun. But I do that to lay out the next couple of weeks. So uh, we're, you know, we're parents too on summer. Yeah. And so we're going to uh, be taking some breaks as well. So we will not have a show next week. Uh, then we will have this uh, school and teacher evaluation show in two weeks. And then uh, after th- uh, uh, that, we'll have another break. So we're going to take a couple breaks over the summer and uh, and then and make sure you feed, your feed is full of great stuff by the time fall comes around. Huh? <laughs> I'm a big fan of vacation, which actually is relevant to today's topic. Right. So um, before we get to that, though, I have a book to recommend. Okay, let's hear it. It's called Love That Boy um, by Ron Fournier. He's a, um, a columnist and a national political writer, and he, he wrote a book. So he, it's, it's called Love That Boy because... He has a boy. Uh, he has two older daughters and a, and a and a son, and it came that that title came from an experience he had where he he introduced his son to uh, President Bush, President George W. Bush, and he was he's on the autistic spectrum, uh, autism spectrum, and he was a really he's a very obsessive and and brilliant child, but he's you know socially very awkward. And there's a moment at the beginning of the book where uh, President Bush, as they're leaving the office, he grabs this guy's arm, the dad's arm, and says, uh, uh, you need to love that boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a very powerful moment like of 
this whole, this, it's all about him sort of reconciling what he expected his son to be and, and, and dealing with like what he actually is. And I watched an interview with him on CBS where he was talking about, uh, you know, where it was brought up the idea that like you should grow the tree that you have, you know, not the one that you think you should have grown or whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and that sort of reconciliation I think is a big part of being a parent, right? You, totally. you have no idea what you're creating. You think it's just you, you know, a better version of you or something. And, and yeah. you never know what they'll turn out. So there's a passage in here that just really struck me. So he's describing uh, this soccer game that Tyler, his son is playing in. And there he's talking about this, you know, group of soccer players that are mo- moving around the, <laughs> the soccer field like they do. And the, the coach is yelling at him to break it up, spread out, spread out. Will you please spread out? And then all of a sudden his son uh, does spread out on his own <laughs> and he, and his and this guy's wife says well maybe he's looking for a pass and uh and the guy says well it's a heck of a way to get a pass and then he describes it thus he says tyler bent his knees fell on his butt and plucked a dandelion from the midfield stand up tyler shouted the coach tyler smiled puckered his lips and blew a small cloud of seeds across the soccer pitch. And then he caught my eye and waved, Hi, Dad! (laughs) I waved and grimaced, the tortured body language of a dad trying to simultaneously say, I love you and get your ass back in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've just, this whole book has just really been overwhelming for me because I think, you know, I, I, I get that, you know, you, you, you walk around like trying to make sure your son is popular and getting everything right and trying to like, you know, fit in perfectly. And, and, you know, like at some point you have to just stop. You just have to like realize like, you know, he's might go on his own path and maybe he doesn't like soccer. Maybe he doesn't like baseball. Yeah, it's a it's a it, it resonates for me too. Uh, our son's taking a different path than either my husband or I took, and it it makes the parenting really hard. It just feels yeah. like a mystery. Like I've said to him sometimes, I'm not quite sure how to parent you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, think- I also hear from lots of parents that there's this difference between boys and girls, and um, I hope on some future podcast we can delve into that. Cause that's I, a good idea. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting about the book is a lot of research and discussion about the pressure to be popular for kids too. And like how parents have really bought into this. Like we want the kids mm-hmm. to be popular, have lots of friends that it's even getting to the point where parents are comparing how many kids come to their birthday parties and, you know, lobbying other parents to let their kids play with them and just, and just get, that sounds like leave it to beaver. I don't know if that's so new. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's just, it, uh, exactly. That's the thing. So it's, you know, but now it's got this Facebook facade and yeah. you know, counting friends that way too. But also on the point, like he's talking about there, he's like, maybe, you know, maybe your, your son isn't going to have a bunch of friends and maybe that's like actually a better path because some of the popular kids get in trouble a lot. I remember that very clearly. So let's talk about the topic for today, though, is about schedules, right? So we are heading into the summer schedule, vacation schedule, Mm -hmm. but everybody's schedule is different. And why is that? Yeah, so this is a topic that's close to my heart because when we moved to San Diego, we actually plunked ourselves up in Encinitas. And um, Encinitas is one of these pockets of San Diego County where there's a separate district for the elementary schools than from the secondary schools. Or in other pockets, there's this K-8 districts next to high school districts like in Escondido and other places. So it's all patchwork and that's really strange. There, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I don't know of other states that have this, this potential for separation between local 
lower grades districts and upper grades districts. Like San Diego Unified School District is a is unified between the the elementary schools and the middle schools and the high schools, and then some of these others are just are just high school districts, like you described. Yeah, and so in San Diego County, we have a total of forty three school districts, but only thirteen of those are unified. Um, the rest of them are separated, and we even have separations in these little tiny places. Like Julian has a separate quote unquote school district for its elementary school from its the school it has a separate school district for its high school so even in little places there's a separation so um i wondered why and and found a legislative analyst office report from the legislature here in california they um looked at it and actually there are financial advantages to being small that uh these little districts that maybe came up back in the the day, like, you know, in the 19th century have had incentives not to leave because they get funded at a higher rate because they're small. And I know even since I've moved here, there have been discussions about consolidation in different pockets, meaning going from these separate districts to unified districts. Um, I know in South County, they talked about it for a little while when Sweetwater was struggling and they talked about it up in Del Mar with Solana Beach and others and um, East County as well is going through questions about this. But these financial advantages of staying separate and plus just the uh, inertia of the status quo keep people apart. So, Yeah, there, there, there's actual research from the report that you described that at least in uh, several years ago that some of these school districts got, if they were smaller, they got far more per student funding, right? Far, far higher. Yeah, and it is. So, yeah, they can get up to 2x, two times as much funding. And yet they have less in terms of assets. Like when you're in a larger district, you can have curriculum people who can support all the English teachers, for example, or, or help the teachers learn to teach math better. And when you're a small district, even when you're getting that much extra funding, you just you're running the building and you're um, you know hiring the principal, and you actually need all that much money to run your district, and you don't get a lot of those extras. So. It also helps to explain maybe why some of these small districts are authorizing charter schools because they can skim off revenue from the charters that they're authorizing and um, helps them get more robust as a little tiny district. So it's an important That's feature. actually a pretty controversial thing right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so it's an interesting feature of our education landscape here in San Diego. But as a family, one of the ways it, it impacts um, is on the school calendar. So up in the North County, the high school district, San Diego Union High School District, has a different calendar than the elementary school districts that feed into it. And each of those have different calendars from one another. That doesn't matter so much for families. But when you um, have more than one kid and they're straddling between, you know, you've got one kid in the elementary school district and one in the middle school, then you have different spring breaks. You have different the elementary school uh, that we went to had a fall break, which was nice when they were both there, but lousy when they both weren't there. Different winter breaks, everything totally different, which makes which is just difficult for family logistics and vacation scheduling and um, and, and lots of reasons. So it, it was quite annoying. So uh, it's I was really interested in looking into it. Hmm. Well. We also brought on uh, Karen Janney. Karen is the superintendent of Sweetwater Union High School District, and uh, they came up with a sort of unified common schedule between the the high school district that she manages and uh, and the sort of uh, five districts below that, right? That Which is impressive and amazing. That yeah. to, you know, because the districts don't have to work together. The unions all like to have control of their own calendars, and so our South Bay districts managed. Uh, uh, in 2010, 
2010-2011 school year to agree to start doing this common calendar. But the other really interesting thing about what they did is that they did a common calendar that squishes summer into just a six-week period, um, and they did that for educational reasons. Yeah, so let's actually use that and talk about our number of the week. Our number of the week is two-thirds. It's two-thirds of the achievement gap. So a study by Johns Hopkins University of students in the Baltimore School District, following them over time, um, they found an interesting thing about kids' progress. They found that all kids made the similar amount of progress during the school year, but their lower-income students fell back during the summer, whereas their middle and upper income students tended to retain their learning, probably because they're doing a lot of enrichment activities during the summer. Maybe they're reading more with their family. Um, Those would be the main reasons. And so they found that two-thirds of the achievement gap in reading in ninth grade could be attributed to this summer slide. And so if you made summer shorter or broke it up over the year, that might address that. That's the idea. So I don't know if Baltimore's come up with a calendar like that, but given the finding that Johns Hopkins had, they they might have to. By the way, I have to add that a third of the achievement gap was present even before kids arrived at kindergarten, which gets back to our early learning topic earlier. But two-thirds attributable to summer slide means we really need to take this question seriously. All right, let's do our what's working for the week. What's working is the Diamond Educational Excellence Partnership, which is located down um, in in Southeast San Diego, working with Choyas Mead and Johnson Elementary Schools, delivering a summer program that is directly targeting this summer slide. So they enroll second and third grade kids, which is at that critical moment when kids are really needing to master reading. And so they targeted that age of kids and they're giving them this really wonderful summer program with literacy instruction that's aligned with what they're getting during the school year with um, experiences in the arts through partnerships with what used to be called young audiences and with YMCA and with um, with an, uh, a nature organization. So lots of fun stuff that the kids are doing, but they're also doing literacy and reading and Um, what they found is that the kids who are in their summer program, 70% of them um, who are, and all these kids are low income, either maintained or improved their literacy over the summer. Whereas what the typical experience is that they do slide back. So that's a, that's a great turnaround. And um, San Diego Unified is funding that program um, alongside the organizations that are donating the, the um, experiences for the kids. Mm. Sounds like something that's working. It absolutely is. We are in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio in downtown San Diego. And with us here is Karen Janney. She's the superintendent of the Sweetwater Union High School District, Mm -hmm. correct? Correct. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us just some uh, basics. How long have you been in charge of the district? Sure. So this is, um, I'm going to my first year as a superintendent. Mm Um, I was in the district though for about 31 years and left around 2009. Wow. Where did, where did you start? Um, where did I go? Yeah. How, no, what was your start in the district? Oh, I was a teacher. Really? Mm-hmm. What? I what? was actually a student in the district. What did you teach? I was a PE and a reading teacher. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you made your all, way all the way to the top. How many, how many students does send, uh, Sweetwater deal with? We have close to 40,000, 712 students mm-hmm. and another 20 plus thousand in adult school. And it covers mostly, so 
there's like Chula Vista Elementary School District, right? And that feeds into Sweetwater. But there are other districts that feed into Sweetwater, right? Right. We cover four municipalities, National City, Mm -hmm. Chula Vista, Imperial Beach, South San Diego. The San Ysidro. Right. 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 Well, there's some other parts of South San Diego where Montgomery and Southwest are. Got it. They're not San Ysidro. Got it. I've heard that Sweetwater is the largest high school district in the state. Is that correct? It's the largest secondary school district in the state. That is correct. Wow. That is a lot of high schools that you're working with. We have 12 high schools and a continuation high school and 11 middle schools. And have you just been to some graduations? Absolutely. I went to 15 last week. Tell us uh, what, what's, a, what's a proud moment or a warm, heartwarming moment from the graduations that you just presided over. So I think what was what I just sent an email out this morning to the principals about was um, how personalized they made those ceremonies. So the, the principals had connections with the students, the teachers had connections with the students, and the students had connections with each other. It just was, that was what was heartwarming. Hmm. Well, we wanted to bring you on because of the topic today, which is about uh, the calendar. I mm-hmm. think uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the typical big issue of, of, you know, dissent and such, but it causes a lot of concern and a lot of, you know, pressure on families. And obviously it's something that we all think about as we plan our year. So you, uh, the Sweetwater has been on what would be called a, uh, a common schedule. And what does that mean? So that means that the four feeder districts, National School District, Chula Vista Elementary School District, South Bay Union, and San Ysidro, and Sweetwater are all on a common calendar. So we share the same calendar, which is basically a year-round calendar. Mm -hmm. And what does that do? Why why is that good? Well, the main reason why we visited that whole concept was that back in, before 2007, um, we had families on up to three different calendars. So they could be at an elementary school district on one calendar, at a middle school on another calendar, and at a high school on another calendar. And so it just wasn't, good for families. And so we decided to tackle this head head on and created a task force in February of 2007 that included stakeholders from East, South, Northwest, Central, middle school, high school, elementary, parents, students, staff, teachers, administrators, every stakeholder group was represented. And so we went through a series of problem-solving strategies to end up with a recommendation to the school board in June of 2008. What motivated those discussions? Did it come from parents or teachers or who who thought it was a good idea to take it on? Actually, every stakeholder thought it was a good idea to discuss it, um, from families who were on three different calendars to district office people who were duplicating efforts. You know, when you have some schools starting in July and some schools starting in September, then you have bus schedules that have to be aligned. You have all kinds of district services that have to be aligned and, and duplicated. And then you have teachers who are transferring over students. If they tr- move within the district and they move from a year-round to a traditional school, then there are some mm-hmm. misalignments there as well. Mm-hmm. So from every stakeholder group, there really was a concern that uh, people, some people like traditional and some people like year-round. And you know, how could we get on the same calendar? So are you on a traditional schedule or a year-round, or is it kind of a hybrid? It's more a hybrid. Okay, so describe um, it. How does sure. it work? So we start at the end of July. Actually, this coming July, we start on June, July 20th. We go nine weeks. We have a two-week break. Mm. We go another nine weeks with a three-week break. 
However, the week of Thanksgiving, we take off the entire week. Mm-hmm. And then in, July, in January, we start another nine weeks with a three-week, two-week break. Uh, that usually includes uh, spring break. And then we go nine weeks and we're done at the last week. Usually it's the first week of, of June. So June 3rd was our last day of school last week. One of the things I'm fascinated with, fascinated with myself as I try to, uh, this is our first summer mm-hmm. uh, for my kids. And I'm planning like what they're going to do over the summer. We both work full time. That's that's going to be, it's interesting. <laughs> and what, what makes me worry though is I can't imagine how people who are struggling to make ends meet get through that long summer. Mm-hmm. Does this does a staggered schedule like that help more with that problem or does that just make it weirder to plan? Or what's your feedback that you've heard on that? Well, that was another reason why we were interested in a common or a, a balanced calendar was because a lot of times the older siblings take care of the younger siblings. And if they're on two different calendars, it makes it even that much tougher for families. So, um, you know, there's, there's some research out there some people think it's a lot. Some people don't think it's a lot around how much time students need in the summer before they begin to lose what they've learned. And so most recently, there was something that came out in Ed Week about, is it time to move away from the traditional school calendar because of time away from learning? Yeah. And so that they really recommend six to eight weeks before a student begins to lose what they've just learned. In our calendar, we're about six and a half weeks before they start school again, and we hold a summer session for both middle and high school. Is it required? It's not required. Okay. No, it's mostly for students who need to make up credits, but we are trying to offer some other courses as well. So once the districts instituted the new calendar, was there any evidence or signs that you were reducing the summer slide? So that's a great question because we made that decision based on three criteria. So as we went through this decision-making process, we came up with a number of, of, well, basically three criteria that we would, the goal would be to maximize student achievement. We would create a family-friendly calendar and that we'd maximize the budget. And so there were some other factors within each of those criteria. So for example, we thought that with this calendar, we might want to ensure that we're increasing student attendance. So I've got some data on that to, in, to increase the number of instructional days for advanced placement tests because the mm-hmm. test is given the same time internationally, nationally and internationally. It doesn't matter when you start school. But so if you start earlier, those students have more preparation time. Yeah. Um, ensuring that students who move between calendars within a district, there's not a, a loss of learning there. P- credit recovery, things like that, um, besides the the idea that we talked about with families being on the same calendar. But also uh, increasing student attendance increases budget, right, because it's based on ADA, average daily attendance. And so we have dis- we have learned. It's hard to know, though, if, if everything happens because of the calendar or because of the other initiatives or efforts that you put in. Sure. But we know that since 2009, since we started the, um, the Common Calendar, this is 2009, and you can see it inches up every year since as far as actual attendance. So this is where we started in 2009, and this is 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So yeah. unfortunately, yeah. this is audio. So right. so <laughs> what was the level in 2009? It was at about 95.7%. That's attendance, average Attendance, day. average day And attendance. what's it at now? And in 2015, 16, looks like we're going to reach up to... I'd say closer to 97%. 
Wow, congrats. So so what you're saying is that the staggered schedule or this this sort of schedule just is just easier for for on the mind. Maybe it's just causing fewer um, absences for sickness or just exhaustion. I think there's something to that uh-huh. because when you talk to, and I was on a traditional year round calendar, yeah. there aren't as many highs and aren't as many lows when you think about it, you know, because when you go through learning is difficult, teaching is difficult. So you can do almost anything for nine weeks. When at six weeks, people begin to feel fatigue, whether you're a student or a staff member, you, you have kids at home mm-hmm. as parents. I'm sure you feel the same kind of level of fatigue when you know you have three more weeks before you get a break it's almost like I can do this, right? So there's less of that fatigue, um, whether it's intellectual fatigue or any other kind of fatigue. And so that's why I think the attendance is more, you know, it's improved. Again, it's hard to say if it's strictly related to the, the calendar, but we have other indications that it has been helpful. Our AP historical, advanced placement historical data also shows that we've not only increased the number of students who have passed the exams, but the number of students who have taken it. Nice. So again, that could be other indicators or factors, but it also supports for the past nine years on this calendar. What about impacts on the teaching profession? So absenteeism among teachers is also an issue, and uh, I wonder if that's improved. That's a great question. Um, I don't have that data. Okay. <laughs> but being that it's my first year back, I'm going to look at that data. So what I have done this year is um, because I think that's important. Yeah. Um, so so I this year as a first-year superintendent, I've been giving out perfect attendance certificates for staff every nine weeks, right? So in the mm, first— nine-week chunks, right, yeah. Right, because it's nine weeks, then you get a break, right? Yeah. So in the first nine weeks, we had about 1,100 perfect attenders. In the second nine weeks, there were about 600. We moved up to like over 700 in the third. I don't have the fourth quarter yet. So it'll be interesting to see if I were to look back at years past what that attendance might have been like. So we're interested in knowing um, now with this experience under your belt, what what are you thinking of doing any changes or are you sticking with it? Right. So... Since 2009, um, they have made a few changes. I wasn't in the district at the time, but they did push back the start time by three days so that they could include the Thanksgiving week as a full week off. So I think that's one change they've made since they started, and all South County districts are on the same calendar. Um, I think the other advantage, because four other elementary school districts feed into the high school district, the middle school, high school district, is that it allows more collaboration time between the districts. So we're all in the same calendar. In fact, we m- went to a, a, sh- a minimum day, a shortened day for all of our middle schools the same day that the elementary schools went on theirs. So they're all, all elementary and all middle schools in all of our districts have Fridays as minimum days. So now you know that all elementary school students and middle school students will have that afternoon off. We have after school programs, so do they, but the older siblings can still take care of the younger siblings if they go home. And it gives us opportunities to have collaboration between teachers, between the districts, administrators, district office people. And I think that's a huge advantage when you when you don't have a K-12 district. When you go back to school in July, there are some consequences for like heat too, right? So you're, you're in class during August, which is, you know, August and September is when it gets the hottest around here. So... Uh, is is there more energy use? Or have, are all the schools uh, fitted with air conditioning right now? How's that work? That's a great question. So technically, when we did our study back in 2008, 
what we found was that really the hottest months were September, October. Okay. So it is still warm in, in August, but we're off the last week of September, the first week of October. So that helps a little bit. Oh, yeah. Right? In that first nine weeks, it's last week of September, October. So that helps. Um, when those fires have happened in late September, we've usually been close to being off or off. And so even though um, students didn't have to go to school in some other districts, our students were already off. Um, you asked another question. Air conditioning. Air conditioning, right. So we have many of our classrooms that are still not air conditioned. However, in this past year, we just did a long-range facilities master planning um, report. And starting for this year, we're planning for all those classrooms that are not air conditioned to be air conditioned within the next year. So that shouldn't be an issue as well. Well, what what are the major challenges that uh, Sweetwater is facing over the next few years? What are you going to, you know, you're one year in almost, uh, what are you hoping to achieve? Well, I think in regards to this calendar, I think we had a couple of um, concerns around even when we start. So we're starting the 20th of July. There are some juniors, sophomores, maybe um, going to be seniors that have been going to maybe internships, that are still not quite aligned with our calendar and or visiting um, colleges that puts them at a disadvantage, perhaps by a week or so. So I think we're going to be looking at that from this interview. I'm going to Spaywar. I'm going to be visiting with Spaywar because they give our students some internships and talking to them about how our calendar is impacted maybe by their choices. Mm. And so I think those kinds of opportunities, because we're really going forward more with CTE, college, uh, career technical education pathways, we want to make sure that our students have the same opportunities, other um, high school students in the county for those internships. And so I think that's an area that we're going to be looking at as we move forward. Well, Karen Janney, uh, superintendent of Sweetwater Union High School District, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank Thanks, you very Karen. much. Calendars are sensitive topics, eh? They are, yeah, uh, for parents, but also for teachers. It's, it's impressive that they pulled this off, and I really hope that the North County districts listen and, and do something similar. <laughs> so you going on vacation? We are going on vacation. Yeah, we're going back east something for a family in, reunion. Something enriching and educational, right? No, we're just going to go have fun. <laughs> All right, this has been Good Schools for All. Of course, we invite you to share your comments on uh, the school year, school calendar, all these other things that we've talked about. What is this calendar at your district? What would you say it should be? What's the problem with it? How do you handle summers? I would love to hear any of that at 619-354-1085, 619-354-1085. Uh, we are going to also be handling this discussion about teacher and school evaluations. How do you know if a school is good? How do you... Uh, judge or not judge teachers and we're going to have of course our guest candy smiley that'll be in two weeks so uh, you'll have to somehow get by next week mm -hmm. without a show hopefully you can make it through but if you have any comments on how teachers should be evaluated or should not be evaluated we would love to hear that so please uh, send your comments to 619-354-1085 uh, and leave a message tell us uh, what area you're in um, your name and uh, and it be, be sure to clarify if you do not want us to read your name, but otherwise we would love to have your comment up there and, and talk about it. So again, stay tuned for that. Somehow get through next week. This has been Good Schools for All. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.